Man, I want to encourage you to turn to Matthew chapter 7. And what a uh, privilege it is to, to be with you this morning. Pastor is um, in Birmingham this morning, attending Brook Hills, uh, listening to Al Moeller. And he is in preparation, him and uh, the boys and Tracy are there. Uh, preparing for the Southern Baptist Convention uh, this week. And uh, I hope you're praying for Pastor and his family. The Lord would uh, greatly bless them this week and uh, bless the, our, our churches coming together and the conventions coming together and the decisions that have to be made. And uh, where they land in the gospel is, is so crucial. There are many issues that are happening and, and facing uh, the churches and, and things that are, are are coming to sort of a head that have to be dealt with and uh, uh, very vital, uh, important issues. So we're going to be praying for them and praying for that time and, and uh, praying the Lord will greatly bless. And the, the Lord will bless us this morning as we are opening up God's word and looking at um, what Christ has uh, spoken and said. And this particular passage, Matthew seven thirteen through 14, is we're going to be looking at is the conclusion, the ending of the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is, is sort of Christ explaining what the kingdom of God is and, and what it is, is, is saying and how we are to follow and, and to trust in the Lord. But it's one of the most theological and doctrinally sound passages, the Sermon on the Mount, and it, because it's... it's not just what Jesus says, but it's who's saying all of these things. And he's making these claims um, that are very bold claims that he is God, that he is the Messiah and you must follow me and trust in me. And, and so we're coming to the end of that sermon. And, and, and like many churches today, when you come to the end of the sermon, there is a, a call for a response, a choice to be made a decision to be had and that's where we're at in this passage in Matthew 13 Jesus is calling uh, and asking for that type of decision which path are you going to choose now that you've heard the gospel now that you've heard these things which path are you going to choose and that's what we're going to be looking at today that we're sort of coming at a crossroads and we have to realize which path identify which path that we are taking and make sure that we are on the right path. So let's look at Matthew 7, beginning of verse 13. The passage says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Let's pray. Father, we know that your word is a living, breathing word. That God, as you penned this years ago, that God, you still have a place and its relevancy is, is with us now in this moment and in this place. God, you know the hearts of the men and women and, and, and the teenagers and, the, and this, the kids that are in this room this morning. You know our lives, you know everything about us, you know uh, what we like and what we don't like. You created us in your image. 
But Father, I pray that you would allow us to examine our own hearts, examine our own lives, not just by a way of acknowledging or a way of affirming what the scripture is saying, but God, as a way that we would evaluate in such a way that our hearts and our minds would be turned to Christ and that we would be changed for all of eternity, knowing that nothing can be done without your leading us and calling us and saving us. And so we pray that you would have your way this morning. The cross will be glorified. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So this question, as Jesus is sort of presenting, was asked, and if you see in the passage of Luke 13, someone asked Jesus, will there be few that are saved, the people that are saved, will there only just be a few? And Jesus responds in the same passage, he says, um, strive to enter into the narrow gate. And so this question is, is being asked this, about this narrow gate, uh, this narrow path, and many Christians will make huge strides to not be called narrow. Uh, we don't like to be called narrow-minded. We don't want to be called narrow-minded, but normally we're, we're called narrow-minded by someone who is trying to be very open-minded. And that, that thought is, is there. There is this charge against Christians, and rightly so, but you'll see in just a moment, by some of the things that we believe and some of the things that we hold true and by the way that we should live, that the gospel, Christianity, is a very narrow um, religion. It's a very narrow-minded way. And really, it's no different than a mathematician. Mathematicians are some of the most narrow-minded people. Uh, when you begin to look at addition, and 2 plus 2 is 4. There's no debate about that. There's not a philosophical debate. There's not an argument. 2 plus 2 is 4. You have two speakers plus two speakers. You have 4. There's no interpretation. It is, it is. Black is black. White is white. And that's what we're sort of being accused of is that we're saying our way is the only way. And that's exactly what we believe because that's what scripture teaches, those types of things. But when you have conversations with so-called open-minded people, and they, be, they, they accuse us of being narrow-minded, and they want to be open. It's funny because they're open to everything except Jesus, right? And, and so they're open to all of these ideas, and, but when, you, when it comes to Scripture and the Bible, the Bible is sort of this thing of the past that was written thousands of years ago that we just sort of hang on to, and we're hanging on to, and why would we still follow something that is so old and something that is so ancient? And, and, and so they're, they're closed-minded to Christianity. They're closed-minded to the Bible. And Martin Lloyd-Jones says that a mind that is deliberately shut in any one direction is no longer an open mind. And so to close the door on Christianity is to no longer have an open mind. It's actually when they would promote uh, um, uh, acceptance and welcoming all people and all types of people except Christians. And that's sort of where we're at in our culture today. If you would maybe see that as an open-minded philosophy that we're accepting everyone and everybody except, oh, those people that believe the Bible. 
Well, that's still a closed-minded view. It's sheer prejudice to anything that is of age. It's, it's replacing reality and truth for everything that is modern and what man believes today. And so we we're, we're, we're need to understand that Christianity is a narrow-minded way of thinking. It, it's a narrow gate. Now, listen, there are some that don't like to be called narrow-minded and in some way, that's a good response. God forbids that we suppress anything on the law that is not in Scripture, that we add to God's Word. And I'm just going to tell you, many churches have added to God's Word. There have been man's laws. There's been man's things that are not in Scripture that we've, we've burdened people with. And we lay it on our children or we lay it on each other. We lay it on ourselves that's not in Scripture. And and. and God says that my yoke is easy, my burden is light. His word is is life-giving and and those things. And so we can oppress and and put restraints on things that aren't really Scripture. Um, That that we have to have this type of instrument or or, or this type of song or this way or this type of chair. The preacher has to wear this and all these things that really aren't in Scripture that we've made that's oppressed people. And that way we don't want to be narrow-minded. We also don't want to be narrow-minded in the fact that those doors are narrow. And what I mean by that is those doors should allow anyone to come into this place. We should have the heart and the mindset of Christ that would allow anyone to walk in those doors, to hear the Word of God, to hear the truth. But where it gets narrow is when it comes to following Christ, when it becomes to becoming a believer. Believers, so we, we want to make sure that we're sharing the gospel with it, not just people who look like us, who dress like us, who talk like us, but all people that the gospel will become to everyone. That we're not prejudiced of skin or race or age or economic level or anything of those, those things, but that we would know that Christ came to redeem and to save all people and all people were created in the image of God. So this door right here is to be wide for anyone to come in. But where it gets narrow is when you become and you call people to follow Christ. That's where the, the, the gate is narrow. That's where the way is hard because we can't just say, okay, let's just all go to heaven. There's times that I wish I, we could preach that. We, that was our message. Just, just love God and everything's going to be fine. And just come to church and you'll be saved. But that's not the gospel. That's not the truth, that, that God has made a way and he wants us to follow that. So we fear being narrow, but listen, that is not our danger of being too narrow. I mean, it's something to consider. We don't want to be so narrow that we're, we're, we're petty and we're, we're, we're think, where things are just so just not even important. We're bogging down the gospel. We're adding to the gospel more than it requires of us. But the true danger is being so afraid of being narrow that we go completely to the other side and and are overly extreme and that we are no longer distinct from the world. That there's no difference between us and the world. But a believer, a Christian, there should be a distinction in the way that we live and the way that we are. You often see this in, in, uh, in entertainment and in music where uh, someone begins out as, as um, 
completely Christian. Like everything they produce is Christian. The label is Christian. The, the, the recording uh, contract is completely Christian. They're only played on Christian radio. And I'm not, I'm not saying sometimes those things sort of bleed over and music is entertainment and all of that stuff. And I'm just creating music for entertainment. I get that. I understand that. We all listen to music that's just, just for fun, right? But, but they have a hard time. Sometimes you can kind of see that struggle where the, all of their songs are all about God. And they want, they want to reach a, a, a wider range. They don't want to leave anybody out. They don't want to offend anyone. And so they sort of open up the gate a little bit on their views and their things. And now they're sort of playing both sides. And when you listen to the lyrics, you're like, I don't know if that's sung to God or their girlfriend. Like, I can't tell the difference. And, and, and there should be a distinct difference. And, and that doesn't mean that you can't have a song on the secular radio. I'm just saying we all struggle with trying to, to widen the gates so that all people are accepted. But we have to realize that the gospel is very narrow. It's very distinct. And we need to be okay with that. We, we need to be fine with that. As a matter of fact, if someone comes and accuses you of being narrow-minded, just turn to respond to them and saying, it would be good for you and your family and your children if you were more narrow instead of boasting about how open you are to things in which that is just a cover-up for you to live carelessly and loosely and however you want to live. That it would do you well to live more narrow-minded. So why is the gospel, how is the gospel narrow? How, what does this mean that the, the gospel is narrow? So enter the narrow gate, strive, fight, work, struggle to enter the narrow gate. So how is the gospel narrow? Why is it narrow like that? Well, first we see all throughout scripture that the gospel tells one story. It's narrow in its theme. It's almost like it's one big sermon that, that Scripture is teaching and telling us. The gospel tells one story. And as you are looking at this, the gospel is restricted to particular one particular subject, and that is that God is reconciling man to himself. And it's all pointing to Christ. This theme is all throughout. If you, if you are in a Sunday school class that uses the gospel project, there's that Christ connection. And you see this from Genesis to Revelation. You see that over and over and over again, this theme is being reintroduced over and over and over again. That God is reconciling a disobedient, sinful people to himself through Jesus. It's just one story. Then that is the story that we are proclaiming and teaching and preaching. That is the main story. The Bible is not an encyclopedia on many subjects. While you can find lots of things in the Bible, but the Bible is mainly an expert on one story. And that is the story, the redemptive plan of God through Christ. It specializes in that. The Bible seems to have this one theme, and it's our relationship. It's our salvation with God. It's who we are as we stand before the Father. And so, listen, as you think about all these different narrow-minded views that Christians may have, notice we need to be accused of being narrow-minded when it comes to this. And that is the gospel is about Jesus. 
It's about God reconciling sinful people to the Father. That's what we stand for. That's what we preach and teach and proclaim. Because no scientist can or has proved that there is not a God. No scientist has ever or will or can prove that there's not a God. And so when you, when you have these debates and you have these arguments about people who are atheists or agnostic and, and, and they're trying to come at this conclusion and this theory and the things that are being taught that, that God does not exist and all of these things are theories. The way that people arrive today that there is no God is the most unscientific approach to anything. Because when you try to study something and try to learn something about something and try to dissect something, you know what they're doing? They're leaving out Scripture. They're leaving out the history of the church. They're not diving in and dissecting what God has given us. They're avoiding all those things and trying to, and trying to come to conclusion about facts and truths, but never looking at what is before them. It's the most unscientific approach to anything and trying to find and discover something when it comes to looking at God. And what we have is we have the word of God and the word of God is right before us, proclaiming us, showing God's plan, showing what God has done. And so these arguments about, well, there's this sort of law of growth that over time that, that mankind has developed and grown all throughout history. Because, I mean, if you look at the advancements of transportation, I mean, we went from walking and riding on donkeys to flying 400 miles in the air. Man has advanced so greatly that man has come so far when it comes to medicine. Just the invention of the things that have been invented in the last 50 years. Man has come and done such amazing things that, that years ago would have wiped out countries from simple diseases. Now we have the cures and the ways to prevent these things. You think about surgical procedures and things that can be done on, on the table are just absolutely amazing. What man has, has, has figured out and, and tried to, to do with surgery. You think about all of these things that man can now uh, can accomplish in going to space and sending rovers to Mars and, 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 and capturing the, the black hole and all of these things that man has done and, and advanced. And, and what farmers can do is, in a way of plowing a field and all these things. And so their argument is, is that man has, has progressed so greatly in all of these things, that why would any of us go back to the old ways? Why would we go from, from taking a, 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 a car to start walking and riding donkeys? Why would a farmer, instead of using his tractor, go back and plow a field by hand? And so their argument is, why would we, in 2019, go back to an old book that thousands and thousands of years old? Why would we do that? Why would we go back to those old ways and try to figure this out? And there's this theme in Scripture. And that is that even though man's methods and technology and transportation and science and all of these things have changed, mankind has not changed. 
we are still just as evil, still just as sinful and wicked as we've always been. You see, our transportation may have changed, but our heart and our motive for going to the places that we're going have not. We're still seeking ambition and pleasure and all of these things. Mankind has not changed. And there is nothing that has been invented or man has come up with for therapy or anything that has fixed the soul of man. We're still faced with temptations every single day. There's not a cure. There's not a medicine or a drug that you can take that can prevent you from falling into these traps, being disobedient to the Lord. Because you think about it, people are still getting divorces. We still have to have law enforcement. And we may need more. The truth of the matter is mankind has not changed and God has not changed. And God's plan to redeem mankind has not changed. And there is nothing better on the face of this earth to fix man's soul than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Absolutely nothing can fix man's relationship with God except the gospel. So yes, we are narrow-minded. Jesus talks about it all through Scripture, this relationship with, with God and the Father, the parable of the sower. We see that, that the sower is sowing the seeds. Jesus is sowing the seeds. And every person is represented by the condition of their heart and the representative of their soul and, and how they receive this Word of God, whether or not they have a relationship with the Father. He talks about it in the Garden of Eden. You see that Adam and Eve have this relationship with God the Father. And because they sinned, they were separated and kicked out of the Garden. You see this, uh, the Israelites and God all throughout as the Israelites are traveling. And as they finally enter into the promised land, all of that is about God's presence and God's relationship with his people. All of scripture is about you and your relationship with God. And Christ redeeming us. And so not only is the gospel narrow in its story, but it's personal. It's, it's individualized. It's for you. Families can come and get saved, but each individual member of the family must come to Christ. So we don't just, families don't just all get saved all at once. A congregation is not just saved, but you join the congregation, you're saved. No, it's a personal relationship with the Lord. It's between you and God. Not your mama, not your daddy, not your grandma, not your spouse, not your pastor, not your Sunday school teacher. It's between you and God. And so are you ready to face him? Are you ready to meet him yourself? So the gospel is narrow by its story, but it's, the gospel is also hard. The gospel way is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. You look at scripture, it says, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard. This path that Christ is calling us to is not an easy path. And you, you can sort of begin to see where some people don't like that. They don't like to present that. They, they want to present that Christianity is if you come to Christ, then all of your problems will be solved, that everything will be great, and you'll be skipping all the way to heaven for the rest of your life. That money will come your way, success will come your way, health will come your way, and all of these things will come your way. That 
my friend, is not the gospel. That is not Christianity. That God, all of these things are great and perfect when you follow Christ. Colossians 1.10 says, So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. You see, the way of God is hard because of the life that we must live. We must live a narrow life. And it's not easy. It's not easy to live for Christ in this day and age. And the culture that we live in, to live for Christ, is very, very difficult. You have to be very diligent every single day to make decisions, to choose to follow Christ and the decisions that you make, the path. Because the opposite of that, we see, we see this in verse 13. For the gate is wide and the way is easy. You see, the opposite of following Christ is wide. The scripture says it's spacious. There's plenty of room. And it's easy. It's an easy path to go the way that everyone else is going. Because listen, if you're following the path that everybody's going, there's not opposition, there's not uh, resistance. You just sort of, sort of coast and float that way. We just got back from vacation, and, and one of the things that was a highlight of my week and the kids' week was this thing called the Lazy River. Paisley called it the round around. That's all you do. You just go round and round, basically. So you get, a, you get a float, and inside of this little channel that has been carved out, there are these jets at the bottom of the floor, and the jets are all going in one direction. And so the water is going in this way, and it is simple. You get your float, you sit in the float, and do nothing. Hence the lazy river. You will not have to worry about which direction you will go. You won't have to worry about, am I going to run off and go off the wrong way? No, the lazy river will take you the lazy river way. You could actually sleep. As a matter of fact, several adults I saw were sleeping on the lazy river. It's coast, and it is very relaxing, and it's easy. It took zero effort to do it. If you want to challenge, get out of your float and turn the other way to work out. Why? Because you're going against the flow. You're going against the stream. And then people are coming your way. And it's easier just to say, this is too hard. Forget it. People are saying, what are you doing? Why are you going this way? The lazy river is this way. It's great. It is awesome. And it is. It's fantastic. And that's why following Christ is so hard because we are going upstream in a downstream culture. Everyone's in their, in their lazy river, in their float. There's plenty of room. It's welcoming. Come on in. The water's great. It's fantastic. And so what's happening is we're sort of like, you know what? Following Christ is hard. And it sounds nice just to just, I just want to just fit in. I don't want to be called out. I, I, I'm tired of going this direction. It's just a lot easier if I just do what everybody else is doing. But you see, the gospel is not just about bringing us to God. 
but it's bringing us to God and changing us to be more like Him. Reconciling us to the Father. So some may say, you know, I'm, I'm just done with religion. I'm done with organized religion. I'm done with the church. It's too narrow. Just the way that they think, they, they have so many rules. And I'm entitled to my own life. And I just want to live the way that I want to live without somebody breathing down my neck and telling me I need to live this way. And I, I'm just done with church. They're, just, they're telling me how to live. And I, I just I can't handle that anymore. There's both a negative and a positive to this type of thinking, this narrow way of living. And, and the negative is still good. It's the thou shalt not, right? We see that in Scripture, thou shalt not, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. Those are good things, right? God was, he was thinking about us and thinking they don't need to kill people. And so this is a good command, but that is a narrow view. But Jesus did not do away with the law. Many people believe today that Jesus kind of did away with the Old Testament. The Old Testament is sort of ancient, and, and the New Testament is for us. Just can y'all bear with me? To us, it's all old, okay? The New Testament is thousands of years old. It's all old, but Jesus did not say, let's just, you know what? The Old Testament was too weird, too hard. Yeah, let's, make it, let's make it to where more people can come. If anything, Jesus made it harder, He said, I did not come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. I've added to the law. So not only is there a thou shalt not commit adultery, it's thou shalt not have lust in your heart towards another woman. It's not thou shalt not kill, but it's thou shalt not hate. Because if you hate someone, you are considered a murderer. Jesus just raised the bar for us to follow. It became even harder. What about all those Old Testament sacrificial weird laws and things that they had, all the sacraments, all the, the sacrificing of the blood, the, the, the goats, and, the, and all those things? Why don't we have to do those things? Why do we pick and choosing? Well, let's do this one and not this one. All of the laws we are still to follow. We are still called to follow those laws. But what we need to understand is Jesus took care of all of those other laws. The sacrificial laws, God did not change his mind and say, you know what, let's just do away with it. Jesus says, no, 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 I got this one. Let me take care of this. I will be the sacrificial lamb. I will be the one that will take away all the sins of the world. Let me do that. Jesus came to do what you and I could never do. And he came and he aced it. Every single law, every single thing that God the Father had put into place, Jesus Christ did every single one of them for you and I. So Jesus did not do away with the law. He completed it. He finished it. He did it. And so so what does that mean for you and I? We should still follow the law and trust in Jesus for those other things. Jesus not only says, should we not do those things, but he says, abstain from the appearance of evil. Not just don't do bad stuff, but don't even look like you're doing bad stuff. Abstain from the appearance of evil. From from the places that you go and the things that you do, the things, there's just some things we just don't do or go because we don't want to appear like we're in evil. Not only does Jesus say that, but he also says, if your brother struggles with something, love them enough that if it's a stumbling block for them to not do it. 
So Jesus is not just saying, here, just don't do these things. He's saying, if you have freedom to do these things, but your brother causes your brother to struggle, then he's saying, don't do it. So yes, the way, the life of following Christ is hard. And I'm just going to tell you, following Christ, you may say, you know, following Christ, is just, it just makes life miserable. You can't have any fun. You can't do anything. There's so many things in this world that Jesus said, don't do, don't do, don't, 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 don't. And it just feels like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? Just sit around and like listen to old choir music and, you know, listen to, you know, just listen to the organ. Is that what God wants me to do, right? Do I, do I have to just live my, and you may love the organ, I'm sorry, but, but sometimes we think, you know, what is it that God is, 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 why is he trying to take all the joy out of this? But here's the truth. If every man and every woman lived in the narrow way that the gospel demands, there would be no murders, no divorces. There would be no need for jail. There would be no need for law enforcement, a government system. There would be no need for any. If, if we all, every person, followed this narrow path, then we, there would be no need for any of it. But Christ is calling us to follow that. And it takes, listen, it takes an extraordinary person to say no to temptation and to deny himself for others. But anybody, Scripture says any fool can fall into sin. Any person can do that. Any person can get on the float and float in the lazy river. Anyone. God is calling us out to something greater. God is calling us to something better. God is calling us to something that is wonderful and life-giving. Not only are there the don'ts, but there are also the do's, the positives, and that is love. One of the ways that Christianity is narrow is its thought and its mindset and its teaching of the concept of love. You see, just the verses just before it, verse 12, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Love your enemies. Love when they don't love you back. That is love. We have such a mis misconstrued view of what love is because we think that love is these butterfly feelings. We feel like love is romantical. And, and if they don't love me, well, I don't love them back or I don't like them or something they do annoys me and so I don't love them anymore. Love is different when it, we look at the gospel. Because Romans 5, 8 says that for while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and I. While we hated him and chanted his name and yelled crucified, Christ still died for you and I. That's the type of love that we see in Christianity because anyone can love someone that loves them back. Adolf Hitler had a dog that he loved. Why? Because it loved him back. So anyone can love anyone who loves them back. But the narrow view of the gospel is to love those who hate you and persecute you and wrong you and take advantage of you. It's to love them. We also see this narrow and the positive by love and happiness. You see, the believer 
is different, is set apart by our joy. It's more than a temporal condition. It's more than when things go your way. It's more than when just life is just going right and everybody's healthy and life is going good and all the things are lining up the way that you want them to line up. Then anybody could be happy in those circumstances. But when the storms come and the sickness come and the deaths come and the hard roads ahead come, that's when the believer can still find joy in the midst of all of that. That doesn't mean you're skipping and smiling and, and pain doesn't come with that and tears doesn't come with that and heartache can hurt. But at the end of the day, there's still a glimmer of hope because you do have hope in Christ. So Christ is calling us to rise out of sort of the wideness and the easy path. And he's calling us to something greater and to something harder. You see, there are many people that, that are really good at sports and really good athletes. There's a lot of great, remarkable athletes in the world. I mean, remarkable talent. But there are very, very few Michael Jordans and LeBron James. Very few. There are many talented and remarkable singers and musicians. Many people can sing. Unbelievable. But there are very few that make it to the top. Very few. And that's what Jesus is calling us to be. To be the few. You know, you know the saying of the Marines, right? No? I just wonder if you knew. I'm just kidding. It's the few, the proud, the Marines. Not many people can make it in the Marines. You can't just skip in and say, you know what? I did push-ups 100 years, uh, 10 years ago. I'm good. You've got to come in and follow their ways, follow their training, do the things, walk the line the way Christ, way, the way the, the Marines is asking them to do. And if you want to be able to put on that uniform, you have to do everything that they demand of you. It's no different for Christianity. Those that find the narrow way are few. They're few. And Jesus is calling us to do that. And the last thing as we look at the narrow way, the narrow gospel, we see not only does it have one story and one way to live, but salvation is through only one person, and that's Jesus. This salvation, this way, leads to life. And salvation is only possible through Jesus. Acts 4.12 says that this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So when people say that Christianity is narrow-minded, Yes, because the only way to the Father is through Jesus. There's no other way. It's not up for debate. It's not up for argument. It's what Jesus had proclaimed, and Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except through me. And that's it. As much as we would like to believe, that people will somehow find a way to God in their sincerity of a false religion. The truth of the gospel is that Jesus is the only way. 
Jesus is the only way. That is why we must proclaim and live in such a way that points to Christ because Christ is the only way. Jesus is the only way. As we're talking about this narrow living in this narrow way, you and I cannot live this way on our own. We do not have the ability to do this on our own. We have to have Christ living in us and through us to allow us to follow in this narrow way. Some may agree with the narrowness of concerning maybe the moral ethics, the moral living, the upright living. But when we begin to say that you must go through Jesus, they stop. They don't listen anymore. But the truth of the matter is, Isaiah 35, 8 says, a high, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. I, I love that part. You may not like that part, but I like that part. Even if they are fools, because I feel like I'm a fool. But if Christ has set me on that path, I will not go astray. Christ has put us on that path. Listen, I, the road does get hard. And I want you to remind yourself of that this morning, that the Christian road is hard. Just go ahead and tell yourself that. The Christian road is hard. So if you choose to follow Christ, I'm going to follow Christ. You're saying, Christ, I will follow you all the way to the gate. And I know that the road is hard, but you are worth it. Because here, listen, what the God, here's what Jesus has done for us. Here's what Jesus has done for us as we look at the life of Jesus. I want you to think for just a moment of Jesus's life here on earth. There was nothing easy about Jesus's life. Absolutely nothing from the very moment he was brought to this earth in the place that he was born. He was born in Bethlehem in a stable. His life began hard. He began to have a hard life in the wilderness in his ministry. He fasted for 40 days and Satan came to him, tempting him. He was in the wilderness. We see Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus was praying intensely to the Father, praying, God, not, not my will, but your will be done. If there's any other way, this was not an easy path for Jesus. And he knew that his path was going to lead to death. He knew it. He knew it was coming. And not an easy death at that. Not a, not a quiet and painless death, but a torturing death that he experienced both physically and spiritually. Jesus' life paved the way for you and I. And listen, he has already went the path. He's not asking us to come where he's not already been. It's like a father would say to their child walking through the wilderness, step where I step, go where I go. Knowing that if we choose to follow Christ, if we choose to follow Christ, and Jesus is not trying to hide this. He's not trying to trick people into come following him. And then once he gets them, he tricks them. But he's laying it out there to follow me is hard. 
And not many people do it. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus has already walked the path. The storm that you're going through, Jesus has already passed through that storm. The rocky waves that you're going through right now, Jesus has already stepped in those places. So he's telling you, step where I step. Go where I go. Trust in me. I made it and you will make it too. But not only did he go through it, but he's with you. He's going back through it again with you. Every step, every storm, every hot day in the sun, every cold night, every dark night, every storm, every struggle, Christ is with us walking the path with you and I. He is always there. Scripture says that he will never leave you or forsake you. Hold on to that, my brother and my sister. Cling to that. When the days seem to be too hard and not worth it, know what Jesus says. Don't forget that this path leads to life. This path leads to life. Because the other path, they think they're on an easy stream and a lazy river, but what they don't realize is it's a huge waterfall at the end. And it leads to destruction and death. They may be enjoying the ride. But there's coming a day. where You will have to face that. There's coming a day when you will no longer be on this earth. And you will enter into one of those gates. And depending upon the path that you have chosen. Will be the gate that you enter. Luke says, concerning this passage, strive to enter through the narrow gate. Fight, struggle. You know what he's saying? Repent. Come to the altar of Christ and repent. That you may enter into the narrow gate. The only way to enter the gate and to stay on the gate is through Christ. Jude 24 says this, and we'll close. Now to him meaning Christ, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Following Christ is not easy. There will be times when you want to take the shortcut. You want to get to the, the end quicker. You want to get through this storm or this rough patch, whatever it is, you want to go around and just avoid it altogether. But Jesus is saying you have to stay on the path because if you get off this path, it leads to destruction. I love the song. It says, prone to wonder, prone to leave the God I love. Bind my wondering heart to thee. Father, keep me on the path. Will you stand to your feet as we pray? Father, we trust 